Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You can do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. reading from the book of Exodus. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. He called it the tent of meeting, and everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise and stand, each of them, at the entrance of their tents and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise and bow down, all of them, at the entrance of their tent. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then he would return to the camp, but his young assistant, Joshua, son of Nun, would not leave the tent. The word of the Lord. Jacob, thanks for reading scripture today. Yeah. Uh, friends, my name is Brittany. I'm the pastor here, and it's so good to have you um, here in worship today. Um, and Andrea and Melody, thank you for stepping in so last minute. We we want to highlight our children's ministry, and, and I had a testimony all lined up, not me, somebody to give testimony, and her husband ended up in the hospital, um, and so uh, she understandably couldn't be here today, and so thank you guys for taking my frantic phone call yesterday and saying yes, um, and for that beautiful story and witness to what an um, impact children's ministry makes um, in your life. Uh, let us begin today with prayer, or not begin, but continue, really. <sighs> Holy and gracious God, may our hearts be open to you. May our ears be open to your movement May our minds be open to um, categorize and, and understand how you move in us that sometimes is more mysterious than we want. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be a sign and a symbol and a gift of your love in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, um, I, so I am ordained in um, the United Methodist tradition. And I've often joked uh, with folks that to get ordained, um, is, uh, it's about 287 steps. Right? Anybody who, who's out? Oh, yeah, Katie can say yes, too, right? That there's about 287 steps. Um, 
And I, I want to say, just as an aside, we actually have several folks at UV Edgewater that are in the ordination process. I want to name their names out loud. Um, Joe Jung, Gloria Feliciano, Colin McDonald, Santa Adlam, April Gutierrez, and another person that is yet to be named. I don't want to out that person. So there's another person, but it's still, you know. Um, and so pray for these people in the midst of their 287 steps because it is, it is hard. It is hard. It is hard. Um, so one of the steps of these 287, it might be 587. What do you think, Katie? I don't know. Yeah, one of these steps is to take a battery of psychological tests. Um, and I remember one of the questions on one of the tests asked me to name my top three spiritual experiences in my life. That is a heck of a question, isn't it? Think about it. What are the top three spiritual experiences in your life? Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to share them. It might be a question for our meaning meals, though. So if you show up, how have you experienced God's presence in a powerful way that I think if it's, if it's a truly spiritual experience, it's not just like a heartwarming thing that happens, but it somehow changes the trajectory of your life, right? It doesn't have to change it uh, 180 degrees, but it somehow causes your behavior to change, Right? So what are the top three experiences, spiritual experiences of your life? As I was reading this scripture today um, and thinking about um, all the stories of Moses, that question came to my mind, and I'm just going to throw out what I think might be Moses's top three spiritual experiences, and you let me know what you think. So um, I think that uh, one, I'm not going to rank them one to three, but one of them would have been that burning bush thing we talked about last week, right? There he is, minding his own business, tending to his sheep, and a bush spontaneously combusts in front of him, and then the voice of God begins speaking. I'm going to put that up there as a top experience. Anybody had something like that happen? Okay. Um, so number two, I'm going to rank, this might be like several experiences, but I'm going to just kind of put it all together. It would be uh, Moses being a vessel, for God's movement with the 10 plagues and delivering uh, an entire nation of people out of slavery um, and bondage into um, a land flowing with milk and honey um, that culminated in him like leading his people up to the Red Sea and being like, oh great, where do we go now? And he takes his staff and the sea parts and uh, I would say that's up there, yeah? Okay. Anybody had something like that happen? Okay. Um, and then number three that I would put up in that would be going up onto the mountain, seeing the face of God, receiving the Ten Commandments. He's had some pretty significant spiritual experiences, yes? Some pretty significant um, understanding of idea of how big God is and how, uh, how much possibility exists in that vastness of God, right? Parting an entire sea, delivering plagues, right? Um, uh, Making a bush spontaneously combust, descending upon a holy mountain. God is so big. It's why the ancient Israelites didn't even want to speak the name of God. They would say Yahweh, or they would take the the vowels out of it to, to... show the name of God, but they couldn't even say it because God was so big. 
And so these experiences of God's vastness no doubt formed and shaped Moses. They gave him comfort and challenge. They reminded him of who God was. But also, Moses knew how small God was, how much God desired to have a, a relationship with Moses, an intimacy with Moses. In our scripture today, we see that, God, that Moses regularly pitched his intent and was intentional about cultivating a space where he could commune with God. It was in these experiences that um, our scripture says the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as one who speaks to a friend. That's intimacy, yes? The people of Israel, though, they just stood back watching and waiting for Moses to speak to God. So in many ways, I think uh, this is kind of the beginning of where we see this priestly tradition develop in Scripture. Moses, just a couple chapters before in the book of Exodus, Moses uh, anoints his brother Aaron as high priest, as high priest, um, Aaron um, and Moses, they came from the Levite tradition, from um, the brother Levi and the 12 tribes of Israel. And the Levites are, are the sort of intermediaries, became the intermediaries before God. They're the ones that offered sacrifice to God. They're the ones that declared things that were clean and unclean, right? They um, are the ones that communed with God on behalf of God's people. So the people of Israel sort of, outsourced their spirituality to the Levites, right? It was this idea that God was so big, God couldn't be concerned with someone like me, so I'm going to let the Levites, the holy people that can hold God's vastness, I'm going to outsource my spirituality to them. Anybody like to outsource their spirituality to their pastor? Mm-hmm. That might be another one. No, no. Now I'm meddling. But this scripture today says that God met Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And so I have to think that there's a balance, right? That God is this big Yahweh and God is this deeply personal friend. And this is actually what Jesus came to show us. This is what Jesus embodies as being fully human and fully divine. It's what he teaches us over and over again in all the stories of scripture. It's why he addresses in the Lord's Prayer and, and, and many other times through scripture, it's why he addresses God as Father. Um, we, often, we often think that the teaching point of that is that God is Father, but I think the teaching point of that is that God is not just Yahweh, big, but God is, a father is actually a crappy translation, to be honest. Abba, it's more translated like Dada. So God is Yahweh, and God desires the intimacy of a Dada with a baby that can't say anything else. God wants to be that close to us. So when um, some Christians get all upset about like, God is a man and we have to say he and it's scandalous that you use any other gender. I'm like, you're, not, you're missing Jesus' point here, y'all. Da 
Hada. Intimacy. So what if somebody says mama? It's still intimacy. That deep connection that is just between you and God. So God is Yahweh. And God is our dada. I think we can do the big God pretty well. We get that. I think we get it sometimes so much that we do outsource our spirituality to our pastor. We expect me or some other pastor to be the intermediary between me and God, right? So today I want to talk, uh, actually I'm not going to talk very much more, (laughs) um, but I want to talk with one of you, just a normal person, about how uh, she cultivates her relationship with God on that personal level. So in that vein, I want to invite, please join me up on stage, uh, Lynette Pokawa. Yeah. Um, don't worry, I, uh, this is not like, like she knew this in advance, okay? <laughs> this is not like... She's mine. <laughs> um, she knew all the questions I'm going to ask in advance. It's, yeah. Um, Can you guys hear me? Okay. Awesome. So Lynette is, um, I want to just tell you a little bit about her. How long have you been coming to UVC? Is four it four years? years? Yeah. Yeah. So Lynette has been around in the UVC orb for a long time, um, like two thirds of our life. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. So she's like old school. Yeah. <laughs> um, Lynette has, uh, she's graduated North Park University and um, has uh, been a ministry leader at the um, Inclusive Collective, which is a, a campus ministry that's here in the city, started at um, University of Illinois, Chicago. And we have a small group. Um, Caroline and Evan are going to be hosting our college small group that's part of this like Inclusive Collective UVC jive thing. It's going to be really cool. So if you're interested, see these two guys. Um, so she served as a ministry intern there. She's currently a worship leader for their um, Sunday night worship. And you've done, oh, and here at UVC, do you want to put a plug in for your small group? Yes. So leading a small group on the Enneagram. Um, and those of you who do not know about the Enneagram, it's just a wonderful tool uh, to help you understand yourself and understand others. Um, it's going to be starting <coughs> sometime in February on Thursday nights. So we'd, I'd love to have you. Awesome. And she also plays in our band. So, like, she pretty much does everything. Um, So, recently, Lynette was one of the spiritual advisors at this conference called Mystic Soul. I'm going to let her tell you just a little bit about that, and then we're going to sort of go into some questions. Yeah, so a little bit about Mystic Soul Project. It birthed from this feeling that there weren't enough faith spaces that included um, people in the margins, um, so queer people, um, people of color. And so it was a space to sort of bring those people groups back into the center. And so the way that that played out was some of the keynote speakers, actually all of the keynote speakers were people of color or um, people who are part of the LBGTQ community. Um, people who led the workshops were people who um, were oftentimes traditionally on the margins. Um, people who... Um, we're leading um, the spiritual care team. So things like that was um, important for a, a faith sp- It was important for that faith space to allow for, again, for people of color and, and LBGTQ folks to be brought up into the front. Um, 
of that of that of those spaces. So just out yeah. of, just out of curiosity, what was it like to be part of the spiritual care team? Yeah, it was a wonderful experience. I got to lead a workshop on the Enneagram, but it was like a cool, there was a different spin to it, right? Because it was a group full of people who were only people of color and um, a, a lot of LBGTQ folks. And we got to, and I, I wasn't really all that leading. I, it was more of me sort of facilitating a conversation around what is it like to live as a type one and to have the dimensions of being a person of color or being queer. And so I got to facilitate that conversation and what happened was just sort of this beautiful moment of storytelling and of, of hearing just such unique stories of heartache and pain, but also being able to be in solidarity with one another in that, in that space. And then also what that consisted of was one-on-ones and sort of talking about, again, what is it like to sort of be um, on the margins and live in this world and how to sort of, um, sort of navigate that, um, all of that, all, all of those dimensions. So cool. really powerful um, conference for me. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. So uh, can you share one of your very significant, just one, not your top three, um, spiritual experiences? So one of the, those, and I'm going to talk a little bit more than I did um, the first service, was just sort of an unforeseen um, loss um, as far as relationship loss. Um, I, yeah, I wasn't expecting um, my, me and my um, partner to kind of break up and um, in those moments, what happens is you start to question, okay, where is God? Who am I? What happened in the relationship? Was it a communication issue? What, what conflict was there? Um, and um, what happened was I found, or I came back to the Enneagram again um, after being introduced to it by a friend of mine and kind of throwing it off. But again, when you, when you go through something so tra- tragic, you sort of are like, okay, what do, we, what do I do? What is, what is happening? And so the Enneagram was just a powerful tool for me to figure out or answer those questions of who am I? What happened in the, in the relationship? And then the sort of, and actually I won't go, I won't go too far. Oh, so my gonna, next question is, gonna, how did that situation create meaning in your life? Yeah. Looking back on it. Yeah, so looking back at it, I think the meaning that came from it was, okay, I saw that it helped me sort of deal with that very difficult issue and then I saw that God, I began to reconnect with God again after just sort of pulling away and being very angry at God for not intervening and then realizing, okay, if this can help me, can't it help other people and so sort of through just organic conversations with other people and finding that people were sort of understanding themselves better and we're finding healing through this tool and through that I found sort of purpose and meaning and it's sort of and and I think it's it's been like a process right I don't think it was just that one moment I think it's continuing to be ongoing where I'm figuring out wow like this might be my purpose is to use the Enneagram in in a way that facilitates healing Hmm. in, um, in faith spaces and in, um, in your spiritual life, have you ever felt a time when God seemed absent to you? Mm. Yeah, I just want to draw back to that experience again, just feeling like, okay, God, if, if you're here, if you're truly here, why didn't you intervene in this 
situation. I am, I'm so consumed with anger. I'm so consumed with just deep sorrow and deep sadness because here you are say, saying that you're present, saying that you're here with me, that you love me, um, just through songs and through, through prayer and through experiences with community, but you didn't intervene in this situation. And so that moment felt, felt like God was, was absent. Mm. What are... Um in the midst of feeling God's absence, in the midst of feeling God's presence, what are some of the practices that you engage in to try to, um, to use our um, language from scripture today to, how do you pitch your tent? Like, mm. yeah. Um, so I wrote sort of a, a couple list of things that were really helpful for me as I, and, and not just in that experience, but in general, as I sort of have dealt with painful experiences and maybe even just, you know, sort of living through life. I, I think um, music lyrics have been really helpful for me. Worship music lyrics have been helpful for me to sort of read and allow, it has really allowed me to sort of, or has invited me to step into sort of the reality that God is present. So, um, so phrases like, um, fear removed, I breathe you in, I lean into your love, drawing close because of your perfect love, leaving the grave um, because you left it. Um, in you I found shelter. Um, um, carry, you carried me through every season. Um, grace that restores, your grace that redeems, that grace that releases um, miracles. You are my hiding place. Lyrics like that, when I, I, I allow it to sort of soak in, and I think it just sort of facilitates um, rest in God. It, it facilitates a sense of, um, it's, it, it goes beyond conversation, and it creates community, it creates oneness with God. Um, so I, let me just interrupt for a second. So I hear you saying, yeah. like, actually, your practice is kind of twofold. One is sure. actually opening yourself up to God's spirit to write song lyrics, right? Yeah. Um, and then the other is to then these these lyrics have been produced, allow them to wash over you in a way yeah. that transforms you. So yeah. it's kind of a twofold. Yeah. Oh, that's a perfect way of putting it. And I think addition, in addition to that, I think contemplative prayer practices like centering prayer has been really helpful for me to sort of um, facilitate this rest in God um, piece that I talk can you talk more about centering prayer? It, th- yeah. Is everybody familiar with centering prayer? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Help us be familiar with that. Yeah. So centering prayer is a silent prayer. It is this invitation, again, to sort of um, receive the gift of God's loving presence, facilitating rest in God. Um, it's beyond, again, beyond conversation. It is, again, trying to grow in intimacy with God. And so how that begins is um, finding sort of a posture, a comfortable posture, prayer posture. Then it's um, inviting you to sort of choose a phrase, a image, or a word that, um, that is characteristic of God in some ways. So you can choose anything. I, I choose peace personally, um, and that's just been very meaningful um, sort of word for me and so I choose that and I think what happens is when you begin to choose that word it's an invitation it's a it's it's a, it's consenting for God to sort of bring healing into your life and it's this act of letting go and and really again letting God to sort of move and intervene 
And so it's, it's not so much you doing work, but it's allowing God to sort of move and do work for you. Um, and so that has been just sort of a powerful practice for me to just be still and to 